So we'll start at verse 21 of chapter 18 of Matthew. So Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Well, up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus says this, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. We'll go that far. That last line, like, let's classify that. Let's put that under the heading, things I wish Jesus hadn't said. Because I wish Jesus hadn't said that. At least at first reading, we may be grateful for it later. Speaking of lists, here's what we're going to start out doing. This morning, we're going to talk about what I think is one of the hardest things to do in life. Now, if we were to make a list of hardest things to do in life, we would have all sorts of interesting things to put on that, right? Like running a marathon. I think that sounds like a really hard thing to do. Like it would take months and months of training. For most of us, it would take like a year or more, maybe years of training to get to the point where our bodies could do what's needed to be done to run, run 26.2 miles. Don't you think that sounds like a really hard thing to do? Yeah, we could put that on the list. What about mountain climbing? I think that sounds like a really hard thing to do. It would take all kinds of time and all kinds of training, and we'd have to learn all kinds of techniques, and we'd have to learn what it's like to breathe in air that's a lot thinner than we're used to. Like mountain climbing, that sounds like a really hard thing to do. Don't you agree? Yeah, what about running into a burning building to put out angry flames and saving people who otherwise might perish? That sounds like a really hard thing to do. Again, it would take all kinds of training and all kinds of courage to be able to do that. That's a really hard thing to do. So we could put all kinds of things on this list of really hard things to do in life. But here's the thing about all of those hard things. We get to actually choose whether or not we are going to face those hard things. We get to choose whether or not we are actually going to run a marathon. We get to choose whether or not we're going to learn what it's like to climb a mountain. 
we actually get to choose whether or not we're going to learn how to be a firefighter, right? But this other thing that we're going to talk about this morning, this really hard thing to do, we don't really get to choose whether or not we get to be involved in this, not at least if we're following Jesus, because this hard thing to do is something that we're commanded to do, we're invited to do, we're called to do by the author of life. What's this hard thing we're going to talk about? I think you know. Forgiveness. Would you all agree? It's a pretty hard thing to do. So a couple thousand years ago, there's this guy. He was sort of a scruffy-looking, homeless, wandering rabbi. His name is Jesus from Nazareth. Have you heard of him? He ran around Galilee and Nazareth, and, and he really uh, taught a lot about this hard thing to do, this thing we call forgiveness. There was this other guy named Peter. He was one of Jesus' first and earliest followers. Uh, he was, Peter was the kind of guy who was like rising to the top of the class. He knew Jesus well. Uh, he always raised his hand first. He was that kind of guy. When Jesus would ask a question, he'd be like, oh, I know, I know. So he always raised his hand first. He was the first and only one really to step out of the boat when Jesus is like, come. So he was that kind of guy. He knew that Jesus taught a lot about this thing called forgiveness. He knew that it was sort of at the center of what Jesus was teaching as he ran, as he ran around Galilee and Jerusalem doing his thing. Right? So he heard Jesus say things like this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He heard Jesus say something like this, Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called children of God. He heard Jesus say this, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. And then he heard Jesus say this crazy thing. You're not going to believe this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And all of those things are really hard things, and forgiveness is right in the center of all of them. So Peter knew it. Like, he knew that, he knew we didn't have much of a choice, not at least if we're following Jesus as closely as we possibly can. He knew that, that forgiveness had to take the easy way out of vengeance in the place in, in a human heart, right? And I'm guessing that for Peter, he didn't like this very much because he's like the rest of us. So he wanted a little more information about this whole forgiveness thing. He wanted to, he wanted to really understand how much forgiveness does a, does a person really have to have in their heart. So he's like, Jesus, give me a number. I want to know how hard this hard job is really going to be. So he says to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then I love this part because he doesn't give Jesus an opportunity to respond. He's like, I got this one, Jesus, up to seven times. And he thinks he's nailed it. He thinks he's got it right because seven, that's a holy number, right? In Hebraic thought, seven denotes completeness or wholeness. There's seven days of the week. When you get to the seventh day, that week is complete. He's like seven times, I got it. Plus, seven sounds like a reasonable number, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds really reasonable. Like, that's a lot of grace to show one person, don't you think? Like, if you get up to eight, nine, ten times, you're asking for it. Because then the people you're forgiven, they're like, 
he's a really forgiving person. I'm just going to steamroll all over the dude, right? Or she's really forgiving. I'm going to take advantage of her. And maybe it's not even a conscious thing. They just end up doing it because you're so gracious and forgiving. They just take advantage of you. So let's put the number at seven right there. You go beyond that, you're in trouble. Seven. How's that sound, Jesus? And Jesus was like, nope. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 77. That's a one time is hard enough. 77 times. This forgiveness thing that we already thought was so hard. I think it may have just gotten a little bit harder than we had originally thought. And according to Jesus, we got to do it again and again and again and again and again, 77 times. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like crazy talk. That seemed crazy. Like last week, we talked about crazy farmer Jesus who said, just let the weeds grow up with the wheat. We're like, no, dude, you got to get rid of the weeds. He's like, no, it's my farm. Leave it to me. Again, Jesus is sounding crazy 77 times. And what makes it even more crazy is that the word he used to describe the number of times we ought to forgive is really ambiguous. You know what it could mean? It could mean 70 times 7. Have you heard that? I did the math beforehand, otherwise it would have been a disaster. That's 490 times. 490. Who in the world can do that? Mahatma Gandhi once said this, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Now, I don't know for sure. I have no way of knowing. But I wonder if maybe Mahatma Gandhi got that idea from this wandering, scruffy, homeless rabbi named Jesus from Nazareth. It could be. Friends, Jesus is asking us to do some pretty demanding work, wouldn't you say? Like he's asking us to roll up our sleeves and do the really hard thing that we don't really want to do and we haven't really been taught how to do very well. Like we live in a world that expects insult to be repaid with insult. Crimes to be repaid with punishment. Violence to be repaid with violence. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. The whole world upside down. And he says, nope. Just forgive. Forgive. Not seven times. Maybe not even 77 times, but 490 times. What is his point? I think his point is something like this. Our forgiveness ought to be beyond calculation. Ought to be so large that it becomes immeasurable. Our forgiveness ought to be so crazy that the world sees it and they're like, y'all are crazy. Our forgiveness ought to be so large that it becomes immeasurable. And I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like that stinks a little bit. That's hard. Let's just be honest about it. There's a guy named Brian Zahn. He's a pastor down in St. Joe's, Missouri. St. Joseph, Missouri. They call it St. Joe's for short. They do the same thing out in Michigan. Anyway, he's a pastor of a church down there. He's written a book out of which I got this. 
Listen to what he says about this exchange between Peter and Jesus. It's so good, I have to read it to you. When Jesus says to Peter and to us, not seven times, but 77 times, what is he saying? That's the question, right? What is he saying? Isn't he saying that we must always find a way to forgive? Isn't he suggesting that the possibilities of forgiveness are endless? That to be sinned against is to be called to forgive? Yes, I believe this is precisely what Jesus is calling us to. Make no mistake about it. This call to forgiveness is extreme. It's a call that transcends the bounds of what casually can be considered as reasonable. To follow Jesus as a disciple is to become a practitioner of radical forgiveness. Conventional forgiveness, easy forgiveness, reasonable forgiveness is what most rationally minded people are willing to engage in. Christ followers are called to radical forgiveness, unreasonable forgiveness, reckless forgiveness, endless forgiveness, seemingly impossible forgiveness. The expectations regarding forgiveness that Jesus places upon his disciples are among the most demanding aspects of Christian discipleship, but these demands must not be ignored. Whoo! Christ followers are called to radical forgiveness, unreasonable forgiveness, reckless forgiveness, endless forgiveness, seemingly impossible forgiveness. Thanks, Brian. We get the picture. Those are really hard words aren't they? Not seven times, not even 77 times, but 490 times. Friends, Jesus is trying to wake us up, wake us up to the reality that we don't have to respond to meanness with meanness, to violence with violence, to slime with slime, to hatred with hatred. Are you catching a theme over the last few weeks? That just keeps a downward spiral going when we respond in kind. And generally speaking, you don't want to end up at the bottom of a spiral that goes downward. Think toilet. You don't want to go down there. We don't have to respond in kind. We can rise above it. We can forgive. Not seven dimes or 77, 490 times. He's using hyperbole, y'all. He's saying that our forgiveness, <laughs> it ought to be beyond calculation, so large that it becomes immeasurable. Jesus is saying that forgiveness should be at the heart. It should be at the heart of life in the kingdom of God. It is the only thing that creates a community of grace and mercy where everyone belongs. Oh, you did that? Oh, you just crossed the line. You need to leave. What? No. Forgiveness. It's the only thing that creates a community of grace and mercy where everyone belongs. And in case Peter didn't get it, he tells him a story. I'm going to paraphrase it and summarize it for you. It goes a little bit like this. There is a king who is trying to settle some debts. Like he wants to get repaid. And in the middle of it, there was this guy who owed him 10,000 talents. 
which is an extraordinarily large amount of money. 10,000 talents would have been equal to the wage of 10,000 manual laborers over the course of 15 years. Again, hyperbole here. We're using big things. This is a debt that cannot, will not be repaid. It's impossible. It's too large. So the guy gets down on his knees and says, be patient with me and I'll repay the whole thing. And the guy takes pity on him and forgives him his debt which is an extraordinary thing. The guy gets up and he leaves and he bumps into another one of his fellow servants who owes him some money. Instead of forgiving the guy, he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me my money. When the guy can't pay him his money, he has him thrown in jail. Well, the other servants are like, what? And they go tell the king and the king comes back and they find the original guy who was forgiven his debt and he cancels his, or he reinstates his debt, has him thrown in jail to be tortured until he can repay it. And then Jesus says, yeah, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What's Jesus saying there? Okay, I think this is what he's getting at. I think Jesus is saying that our forgiveness of others is ultimately bound to God's forgiveness, forgiveness of us, right? The king forgives. You want that to flow through the other servant, right? Our forgiveness of others is ultimately bound to God's first forgiving us. It ought to flow through us to the world. God is willing to do the really hard work of forgiving us for all of the ways in which we've made a mess of things and we've done it sometimes royally by sending his son into the world, lived a life of grace and mercy and forgiveness and in the most extraordinary way offered himself up for the forgiveness of the world. And God is betting that our experience of that forgiveness will be so transformational that we will become people who offer forgiveness to the world that is beyond calculation, that is immeasurable. God's forgiveness of us offers us a new and different way of living something that's different than what we experience out there in the world every day of our lives. He's offering us a new way of life. In one of his books, Brian McLaren tells a story about Dr. Peter Senge, the former director of systems thinking at MIT. So Dr. Senge was uh, being interviewed at a conference for pastors and he was asked a question and he launched into this story about how one time he was browsing in a bookstore and he asked the bookstore person, what are the most popular books on the shelves today? And the bookstore worker said, the top books that are selling right now are, are books about how to get rich fast. Who could have predicted that, right? The next tier, the second most popular books being sold in bookstores are books about spirituality. It's particularly books about Buddhism. So he tells this story to the interviewer, and then he asks the interviewer, 
Why do you think books on spirituality about Buddhism are being sold and outselling books on Christianity? What do you think? And the guy who was being interviewed was startled because he was used to asking the question. So he answered the question with a question. And he said, I don't know, Dr. Zenj, what do you think? And he said something like this. I think it's because Buddhism presents itself as a way of life and Christianity presents itself as a system of beliefs. So I would want to get Christians to start thinking about how to rediscover their own faith as a way of life because that's what people are searching for today. That's what people need the most. It's a way of life a different way of being in the world. This is what Jesus is offering his followers and now us, a different way of being in the world. He's not presenting some sort of system whereby we keep track of how many times we've forgiven someone else. Let's play that theory out for a moment and see how ridiculous that actually is. Johnny, that's 462 times now I've forgiven you. Oh, we're getting really close. Once I hit that 490th time, then I can do whatever I want. I can respond with violence. I can respond with hatred. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. He's not setting down a rule by which we keep track of how, like we keep a book on people. Like we got a book on each person in our life and we keep a tally. No. He's not doing that. He's not setting down some sort of forgiveness law to which we must cling and follow to the letter. No, he's, following a, he's offering us a different way of life, a different way of living, a way that's guided by grace and mercy and not by vengeance and not by retribution. Again, this is the Jesus way. This is his kingdom's way. This is the way of life that sets us free from hatred and the old tired out patterns of this world. This is another place where God's will can be done on earth as it's done in heaven because our forgiveness is ultimately bound to God's forgiveness of us. Get that. This is another place where God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, thereby teaching the rest of us how to pray, taught us to pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Also teaching us to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Those two things are tied together. You cannot have one without the other. Forgiving those who have hurt us, forgiving those who have wronged us is one of the most significant ways we can participate in the kingdom of God. It's one of the most significant ways for us to participate and join with God in what God is up to in the world. Mm. So when it comes to participation in the life of God and his kingdom, maybe we should look to the one who embodied God in the flesh, Jesus, in whom the, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When it comes to forgiveness, maybe we ought to look to the author of forgiveness. Remember the things that he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one as well. Don't respond in kind. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. 
to the woman who was caught in adultery. She had had five husbands. Now she's got another one on the side to the crowd that was ready to stone her to death. He said, may he who is without sin cast the first stone. To the woman at the well, he offers himself and grace. To Zacchaeus, who, told, who stole loads of money from really hard-working people. Jesus offered forgiveness. And then hanging on the cross, about to breathe his last breath, he prayed these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Jesus, living God's life on earth, made love his passion and forgiveness his rule. Jesus, living God's life on earth, made love his passion and forgiveness his rule. That's life in the kingdom of God. And you and I are invited to participate in it. Forgiveness is a really hard thing to do. It's so hard. Now, I don't know the state of your relationships right now, but I'm guessing that there's someone in your life who has wronged you. Or maybe you've been holding on to some sort of grudge for a really long time. Jesus says, forgive. Forgive. Don't hold it over their heads. Forgive. Don't make them pay. Let, let them go. Forgive. Who is it in your life? Now here's what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying what we explored earlier. Just let yourself get steamrolled. He's not saying just let yourself get taken advantage of again and again and again and again and again. If you're in danger, if you're being hurt, if your family is in danger, you can still forgive and you may need to separate yourself. This one time Jesus sent his followers out to talk to people about the kingdom of God and God's grace in this world. And he sent them out to heal people and to put people's lives back together again. But he said, if you come upon a place that will not accept you, what did he say? He said, wipe the dust off your feet and walk away. I don't know the state of your relationship. Who are they? What did that one person do to you? How can you let go? How can you make amends? Look, it's really hard work, but there's always something satisfying about a hard job done well, isn't there? And here's, here's the other thing about forgiveness. On the other side of it, there's always a chance at resurrection. There's always a chance of new life just around the corner. There's always the chance of reconciliation, putting something that was broken back together again. That's who we're called to be. Now go, give it a shot. It may sound unreasonable, but so was the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness of us. Thank you for sending your son into the world to show us exactly what love looks like, to show us exactly what a life of forgiveness and grace and mercy looks like. Help us, oh God, to follow closely in your steps. We ask, O oh God, that you would give us the courage to let go, 
We ask that you would give us the courage to make amends. We ask, O oh God, to give us the strength to participate in your kingdom, in your life, here on earth, giving an alternative to what the world offers so that more and more people might experience your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.